Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. This morning, I want to kind of be a little bit more transparent than usual, and maybe some pastors won't say it, but I'll say it. There's so much pressure. Every year, at this time of the year, the more you do ministry, it's even more pressure. It's the same message, albeit an awesome message, but how do we not say the same thing that we said last year? See, the beautiful thing about God's Word is it's a simple message, although it is an awesome message. You know, you could, if you think about this world, you could be married next week to the most awesome spouse that anyone's ever known, or you could rise to the CEO of your own company, or you could win the lottery and have millions of dollars. But one thing that's common with all three of those things is they're tethered to the earth. They only last as long as you live. The message of the resurrection is eternal. Jesus said he came to give us eternal life. He also wants to give us abundant life on this earth, and then all the way into eternity. Remember, the disciples have been gone for some 2,000 years. They've been rejoicing. They're having a great time. A lot of them were martyred. They were killed for their faith. But I submit to you that that is a very distant, if not no memory at all to them, because they're enjoying the glory of the Lord. So this is a, an awesome message, and I want to walk you through five short character profiles in the Bible, two in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament. Each of these five people were like you and me, have the same problems, the same concerns, the same struggles, the same illnesses, right? But what's common in all five of them is they had an encounter with the living God, and that changed them. Why? Because they had a resurrection experience. And I submit to you that we need to change as well. See, I want to bring you into the message and that I don't want to preach at you and send you home so you can maybe talk about some of the message or memorize the scripture or hear something this year that you didn't hear last year. I want to pull you into the message in that when we have a resurrection experience, when we're faced and we're confronted with the living God this morning through his word, we also have to change. We have no choice but to change. Now, let me give you some facts. I've got a lot of articles in my office that I've really enjoyed and copied and filed away. That the Christians of the first century had an amazing impact on the Roman Empire over time. They, they attenuated the harshness and the brutality of the Roman Empire. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, love was the order of the day instead of um, hatred because people were different. Let me fast forward to our history in the United States in the days of slavery, that the Christians were out on the front lines, not only praying, but also trying to institute change to remove the scourge that affected our country. So the question is, in 2015, have we evolved to a bunch of people that go to church and want to be inspired and want to be wowed? But then we don't do anything with our lives. What makes us any different? What makes us less tasked? Some of you are probably saying, I should have gone to the early service. <laughs> I didn't know this was about me this morning. But I have no, I, no doubt, I'm going to listen to the message that Pastor Paul preached with fire 
because we have the same fire. We believe in what Jesus did. But if we believe that he is God, we also must believe that he has the power to change. I want to inspire you this morning to, to understand that, to live it, to experience it. Right? We have a messed up world in 2015. Right? Are we leading people into the kingdom? Are we praying? Are we changing anything? Only we can ask that question personally. Because I tell you, somebody is who is changing the world, some groups that are changing the world, albeit not for good. Just read an article about um, ISIS, Boko Haram, and Al-Qaeda, who had a, a, an African summit. What do you think they discussed? How to ruin more people's lives. How to torture people. How to do the horrible things that they're doing. They are having an effect on the world. But are we? You might say to me, well, Pastor Joe, how can I affect anything that happens on the continent of Africa or the Middle East? Well, we can be praying. Certainly we should be praying if we call ourselves Christians for those brothers and sisters that we're going to spend eternity with in the kingdom and glory. We should be praying for them, at least on a daily basis. What does it take, 30 seconds of our time? Secondly, you know, another article, another fact, facts that we read, is that the, in the United States and the United Kingdom, it's up into the thousands of people who are leaving this country to go and to join ISIS. We might know some of those people. They might be loners. They might be different. They might be odd. But I'll tell you what they do need. They need Jesus. Amen? I love um, Casting Crowns. They're a Christian band. And uh, this one song video, it always tells a story. It's, does anybody hear her? And it shows a a gathering of a bunch of clicky Christians who get together in the diner and they're all laughing and having a good time and they can't see the pain on the wa their waitress's face. But one does come back and minister to her. We can be so oblivious in our own worlds, sending our kids to Christian college, you know, going to Bible college, going to church, serving in the church. But the Bible says that we're supposed to go out there and be salt and light. This is a rotting, putrefying horrible world that we live in and if we don't see that we are living in a bubble for christians it shouldn't be so i want to challenge you this morning as we go through these five character profiles hopefully it inspires us especially if we are believers in jesus to just in our private time just call out to god and say lord you know i want to be used you know i want to change i want to make a difference in this world because what do we have on this earth 80 years, 90 years, into the 90s max, and then what? We pass on into eternity. So, if you'll join me, the first person, if we go to the book of Joshua 2, 9 through 13, I have little monikers or little titles for each one of these five. We're going to be introduced to Rahab. She's a Gentile prostitute that turns to God, believes in God. She had three strikes against her. She was a woman in that society. She was Gentile. And she was a prostitute. Things couldn't get worse for this woman. But this woman, I submit to you, is a remarkable woman. Unfortunately, people judge on the outside, but they... We really, the Bible says that it's what's on the inside that really counts, and God sees that, and we sometimes miss that. Joshua 2, 9. So these spies come in to, they spy out the land, and 
in Jericho. And God is going to give the victory to the children of Israel. So they end up meeting up with this woman who's a prostitute, and she hides them because the king's men find out that they're there, uh, or they suspect. So she hides them on the roof underneath some flax, and there's a conversation that takes place. She says to the men, now this is a Gentile prostitute living in a Gentile area. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's amazing. You know that some of the children of Israel didn't have the faith that this woman had in the living God? Right? God sees the inside. He doesn't see the cliques or the groups that we're part of or the church that we go to. He judges us individually on, on our hearts. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, because they were going to leave and then go back to the camp and then tell them what happened so they can come and invade. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Well, let's fast forward to Joshua 6, verse 22. The walls of Jericho come down, and Rahab, it appears, lives... These walls were like not like uh, sheetrock walls, by the way. They were very thick. Sometimes apartments were built into them. They were very impressive. They protected the city, things of that nature. So children of Israel, they march around and the walls come down. It says, But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. So they were spared, their lives were spared. Again, from prostitute to proselytizer, she was the lightning rod. She was the one who went to her entire family and told them, they'll spare us. We, I believe in their God. And they believe in her. Listen, you tell your family stuff, they don't always agree with everything you say. You know, sometimes we talk about religion or spirituality, even then. So this was actually pretty remarkable. Now, let me tell you the end of the story. She gets married. She has children. And she's now in the bloodline of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Pretty impressive. Now, some might get offended by that. But this is what God does. He looks at the inside. He looks for willing vessels. She had a resurrection experience. And she was listed, she is listed in Hebrews 11 as a hero of faith. Pretty impressive. So now, for 2,000 years, Christians have been reading about her, and she's been honored because of her faith. But she had a resurrection experience. So I would ask you, what are you into? Don't call it out, please. <laughs> if it's negative, so what? If God could use her, do you not think that God could use you? Now, sometimes people have the excuse, and maybe they really believe it is, well, God can't use me. I'm this in a negative way. This is Rahab, and she's in the bloodline of the Messiah, and she's listed as a hero of faith. Second person, Gideon, if we could turn to Judge, Judges 6, 
second character profile. I call this one Wimp to Warrior. And as we start to read it, you realize that he was terrified. He, w he made no bones about not having any courage. <laughs> so, Judges 6, verse 11. How does that happen? Only by God. Now the angel of the Lord came out and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. This guy was so scared of the Midianites, a lot of Israelites were, that he threshed wheat in the winepress instead of going up to the high place where the wind could catch it and remove the inedible from the edible parts of the wheat. So here's a guy who, he's just, he's just a scared guy. He's hiding. He's doing what he's got to do to make a living, but he's afraid. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I could picture Gideon going, Who are you talking to? I'm the only one here. Yes, it's you. See, the beauty of God is that he sees the finished work. We see, we look in the mirror sometimes and see a lump of clay. But God sees the finished work. You mighty man of valor. And Gideon starts to argue with him. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the land, from the hand of the Midianites, have I not sent you? If God sends you, brothers and sisters, he's going to enable you. He's going to empower you. You know, the Bible in Second Chronicles says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the face of the earth, seeing someone that he can show himself strong on behalf of, right? But he's looking. A lot of people aren't willing. Jesus said the same thing, by the way, in the New Testament. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Now, here come the excuses. Indeed, my clan, my family, pff, they're the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. It's bad enough that my clan, we're a bunch of losers. You don't want to use us. And I'm, I'm the worst. Right? <laughs> and the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So, here's Gideon. How do you see yourself? You know? Usually, and I've got to be honest with you, usually the ones that see themselves like they're God's gift to the world, he has to pass them over. If you see yourself in a way that you don't think very highly of yourself and you don't think that you might amount to anything, but you know what? You're willing. God can use you. I really want to encourage you with that this morning. He can take a depressing and self-defeating life and turn it to victory. He can do anything. What's the rest of the story? Well, Gideon goes on to lead the children of Israel to victory. 300 Israelites versus 135 thousand Midianites. And he started off with like, what, 32,000? And God kept saying, too much. Because if you win, you're going to think it's you. He just kept whittling that number down to 300. And, and he leads them to victory. Guess who also is listed in Hebrews 11 as a hero of faith? You got it, Gideon. Weak clan, I'm the lowest in my family. He did it because God worked through him. But see, we have to be willing to open up our hearts and allow God in so that he can change us. Because he can't use us the way we are. He's got to do some work. 
3. Third character profile. Now we're in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter. He goes from swearing sailor to super saint. Took me a while to come up with this stuff, all right? <laughs> How many of you watch the show or some like it, the world's like deadliest catch, the fishing show? Uh, not, wow, not that many. Uh, it's very popular. You know, they go out on these huge ships, boats, and they're, you know, catching crabs, and they're in cold, freezing waters. Somebody falls over, and they're in there too long. They're dead. And you see these guys, um, when things start to get stressful, you hear all the bleeps because it's for television. So they're using profanity. It's like, bleep, bleep, get the bleep, bleep. That's what's going on. I want to turn your attention to Luke 5.8. Jesus does some amazing miracle in Luke. So for those of you that are here twice a year where you don't get that much scripture, I'm really giving you a lot of food today. So just put it in your spiritual bellies. It'll take a few days and digest it out. So we're, we're good. It's a method to my madness. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus does this amazing miracle and he tells the fishermen where to, you know, Simon Peter's a fisherman, where to send out the nets and where to catch the fish and you know, there's some argument. Peter, whose name was Simon back then, before Jesus changed his name, and he's actually arguing with Jesus about, listen, I'm a professional fisherman. We've tried all night. They eventually listen to Jesus. They put the nets down. They catch this amazing bounty of fish. And Peter, and this is what happens when you have an encounter with the living God. You start to see yourself and realize you're a sinner. Isaiah did it in Isaiah 6. Peter did it. It happens all throughout the scripture. It's an amazing thing. But it's refreshing because we start to see the truth about ourselves and how we can be better if we just empty ourselves and follow God. So when Simon Peter saw this miracle, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord! Exclamatory. Now you can fill in the blanks. What was he saying? He's saying his life wasn't right. He's saying that he saw a miracle. He's saying that he knew that Jesus was more than just a man. And he's saying, you got the wrong guy. Isn't that great how we tell God what to do? I want, it, I want you. No, 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 you don't understand. I mean, I don't understand. I'm God. I want you. I formed you before I knew you. Pastor Paul covered that in Psalm 139 on Wednesday. But he wants Jesus to leave him. And I believe in, in, a, in a fit of real honesty because he knows that he's just not right. It's not right for ministry, but the Lord uses him anyway. Good stuff, isn't it? You see... Rough jobs are usually stocked with hardy men that can be crude in their language and their mannerisms. And Peter was no different. Now, in Matthew 26, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, he's walking with Jesus for a while, uh, Peter, and uh, Jesus is arrested, and Peter's, you know, he's kind of in two worlds. He's kind of afraid, he doesn't want to get arrested, but he wants to be with Jesus. So eventually he's ID'd, so to speak. They figure out, oh, he, you were one of the apostles. And Peter in Matthew 26 kind of flips out and he calls cursing and swearing down. Kind of goes to his old nature a little bit. Throws a fit. Because he doesn't want to be arrested too. Let me tell you what the rest of the story is after the resurrection. How many of you have read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It chronicles Christians over the, really the millennia. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us what happens with Peter. Well, we know how he started off because we read it in the scripture. At the end of Peter's life... Well, let me just say this. 
He contributes heavily to Mark's gospel, which we just covered before Ephesians. He also wrote 1 and 2 Peter. So Peter now is in the Bible. You know, the Holy Spirit uses him to write a good portion of the scripture. In addition, Fox's Book of Martyrs, page 3, tells us that Peter was crucified. It says his head being down and his feet upward. Crucifixion was bad enough. That had to be a horrible experience. He required it himself of his executioners. He says, I can't be, I'll read it, <laughs> because he was, he, he said he was unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord Jesus was. That's pretty remarkable. So here's a guy who didn't want to be arrested, flips out. I don't know the man, denies Jesus three times, and here at his death, after he does some amazing stuff, he's a different person. He had a resurrection experience. He changed. Right? Listen, when we change and the Lord uses us, it's not going to be always roses. But you're with the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. Fourth character profile is the Apostle Thomas. Him I named Doubter to Determined. John 20. Turn with me, or we'll be up there. John 20, 24 through 25. Now, this is after Jesus' death. And again, the disciples, today we would say that they had trauma. They experienced something so horrific that they were in, in psychological trauma. They're kind of hanging out together, maybe looking for comfort from each other, probably very depressed, very um, dejected. Jesus said, I'll, be, I'll be, rise again, but the last thing they saw was him hammered to a tree, bleeding to death. Um, just his eyes swollen from the beatings, stripped down, practically naked. And that was their last image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then some of them took his limp body off of the cross and buried him in a tomb. So you could imagine his followers, his friends, for three plus years, they were really in trauma. Verse 24, it says, But Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus starts appearing in his resurrection to the different followers at different times. He goes on, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas, again, was kind of, you know, he's still technically was a follower of Jesus, but he saw Jesus die, and he's saying, listen, guys, I'm not just going to take your word for it, even though he was with them for three-plus years. Right? I like to fill in, you know, just to, to, to paint the real big picture, of, a clear picture of what this looks like. Thomas was not going to accept anything except taking the Lord's hands and putting his fingers through and saying, wow, now I believe. We go on. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, probably for fear. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, he's om 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 omniscient, he knows everything. He says to Thomas, I could just see him picture him out from the group. Come here, Thomas. He says, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answers and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet have believed. This is Thomas we're talking about. Check this out. Here's a guy who's doubtful, who's not taking the other disciples' word for any of it, right? And what we know about Thomas is that he actually traveled 2,800 miles east from the land of Israel with the gospel all the way to India. No trains, no planes, no cars. 2,800 miles. Talk about determined. Once it was proven to him, he was off. He hit the ground running. He had a resurrection experience. He changed. I love, it. I love this guy. You know, there's some people that when you win them, the, they're so stubborn. And they can be so smart. And they're so whatever. And when you win them to Christ, what an awesome um, accouterment to Christianity. Because they're just going. They're just, they just trust him. They hear what he says. And they're off. Now, Fox's Book, book of Martyrs, page 4, says this. Thomas called Didymus preached the gospel in Parthia and India where exciting the rage of the pagan priests, probably the polytheist priests, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Thomas said, I can just picture him saying, this, this is real. I, I'm going to go as far as I can to preach the gospel. You guys, you can stay here, but I'm going, man. I, I'm on a mission. I'm going to find people that don't look like me, that don't talk like me, that don't eat the same foods that I do. I'm just going to go there. I'm going to go as far as I can go with my feet, and I'm going to preach the gospel. Pretty powerful stuff. Do you know that today in India there's a sect of Christianity that can trace its roots back to Thomas's evangelistic endeavors? Now, I know a lot of people of, of Eastern Indian descent, and they, they tell me this. You know, they, they were born there, and they, they fly back there. This is truth. There's a sect of Christianity in India that traces it through some 2,000 years back because of Thomas's determination. Last one. The Apostle Paul. Some might get offended. If you don't know the Bible, I'm just going to warn you right now, some of the things I'm going to say will probably sound offensive, but let me give you some background here. The Apostle Paul goes from murderer to martyr. Let's, let's see where we find him. Acts 7, verse 54. The book of Acts 7, 54. So Stephen, one of the earliest martyrs, he... Uh, He's preaching to the religious people. He's trying to impress upon them that Jesus is the, the Messiah that was spoken about in the prophets in the Scripture. Of course, they didn't like his message. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were furious, and they gnashed him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Do sounds hurt us when people talk? We hear good things, we hear bad things. Does it cause pain in our eardrums? No, it doesn't. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want his words because I believe that they were being convicted. And they stopped their ears. Their hands went over their ears. They, as they were going to kill him, they couldn't hear any more words. Some people are just so, so obstinate. You know, they're, they're, they're confronted with the truth and they don't want to hear it. I'll hear anything. You can tell me whatever you want. We can have a conversation. I know the truth. I'm not afraid of words. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. To death, And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. 
And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is euphemistic for he died. And it was a horrible, uh, stoning was a horrible thing. They'd put you in a pit and they would just take these stones and they would aim for the upper chest because it was an easier target, hoping to hit you in the head. And they would just keep hitting you with these stones until you just, and it was actually, by the way, they were so furious. What they did was illegal under Roman law. And that's a whole other discussion for another time. And that's why Jesus, the religious leaders needed permission from the, religious leaders needed permission from the Romans to have Jesus crucified because they weren't allowed to kill him on their own. That was taken away from them. And that's a whole other prophecy of scripture. It's just so impressive. Where was I? <laughs> so I just get into this stuff. I'm sorry. I'm just up here by myself. You know? <laughs> uh, just, you, there's so many legs and there's so many tentacles to the scripture. You know, people who say, oh, Bible, they say these dumb things. They don't even know what they're talking about because there's tentacles to, um, to uh, artifacts in the, in the Holy Land. There's tentacles to uh, extra-biblical history that have no interest in Jesus at all, but they bolster. You know, Jesus was a historical figure. We know that. The question now is, was he the Son of God? And the question of that is, if I do believe that, will I submit myself and trust him for my sins? That's the only way to get into heaven. So this is what's going on. Now, if that wasn't enough, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We see Saul is at it again. He wants to make a name for himself, by the way. He's a young rabbi. He's uh, accomplished. He got a good degree. He was discipled under some important people. This guy was going places until he became a Christian. Right? He was going places in the world. Chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's what it was called early on. Christianity was called the way. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This guy was determined. He was obstinate. He just couldn't believe that, that Jesus was the Messiah. And he does all of these things to try to have the Christians arrested and to try to have them killed and, and be an accessory to that. I'm going to tell you this, that to the Christians of the first century before Saul's conversion, he was ISIS. He was ISIS. And I'm going to tell you this, that as we read the scripture, even after his conversion, there were Christians who were very skeptical. Whoa, 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 we know this guy. They actually probably thought that he was undercover to infiltrate Christianity. It took them a while. Check this out. This is how deep this book is. When you start reading this, they thought that Saul was undercover, trying to find evidence against them. And this is what happens in the church in Iran, in underground church in China. This stuff really happens. And to, to them of that day, Paul was ISIS. And I'll back that up, but we can go back and forth with Scripture. Then his conversion. Acts 9, let's continue the story, 3 through 9. The Apostle Paul, or Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, by the way, Damascus is in modern-day Syria. Isaiah 17, I believe, speaks about a major um, Damascus strike that actually hasn't happened in our history yet. It's very prophetic. So again, more tie-ins there. <laughs> it's fun. So he, he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. See, Jesus looks at us as believers when we're persecuted. He takes it personally. He identifies with us. We're never alone when we're Christians. The Lord is always with us. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads like an animal would kick against a, a, a goad to get the animal to go. Stubborn animals would do that, and they would just hurt themselves kicking against these goads, which shepherds would use to kind of get them to go in a certain direction. So he trembled and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Well, if you're a Christian, you know the end of the story. He becomes this amazing Christian. And the Lord uses him by power of the Holy Spirit to write half of the New Testament. Wow. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five through 27, just to give you a little background of what happens to him after he becomes a believer. Verse 25, it says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking about himself and his experiences. I was beaten, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Wait a minute. What is wrong with this guy? Aren't we told today in American Christianity that if you become a Christian, God's going to automatically, if you have faith, you can become wealthy and never anything bad happens to you? By the way, that's a lie. Because if you read your scripture, okay, the, the, the deeper you are devoted to the Lord, the world's not going to like it. Jesus said, they didn't like my message. So you follow me. If I'm going to give you the message and you're going to take it to the world, well, they crucified me. Guess what? You're going to be persecuted as well. We need to expect it. It comes with the territory. Some of you may not come back here again, but you know what? <laughs> I can say that I told you the truth. I'm not looking to build a mega church here. I'm looking to do what the Lord has tasked me to do because I know what I was saved from. I owe him my life and beyond. I'm going to tell you the truth, even if it's not popular. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul, he was a Roman citizen. He was a respected rabbi. He was in the upper echelon. He was going places in the world. He gave it all up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to these people that they changed so dramatically? You want to come up here and say that? No, <laughs> that was good. But the thing is that it's true. They changed. They had a resurrection experience. They, you know, we covered this in Ephesians 2. Apostle Paul says to the Christians, you were dead in trespasses and sin. It was God that gave you the gift of salvation. And what do we do when we have that? Because we're resurrected. We don't necessarily feel anything in our physical body, but spiritually we're revived, we're regenerate. And it goes on into eternity. Fox's Book of Martyrs, page 3, about the Apostle Paul. The soldiers came and led him out of the city to the place of execution where he, after his prayers made, gave his neck to the sword and they cut his head off. 
That happened to our beloved Apostle Paul. Why wasn't he crucified? Because he was a Roman citizen. If you were a Roman citizen, no matter what you did to Rome, they, couldn't, they had rules. We have rules. We have a rule of law in this country. When you start to study Roman rule of law and you read the Bible, you're like, there's no way somebody couldn't have made this up unless they were there. We're still finding the annals and the historical records. Tacitus and Josephus and all these guys, and they weren't Christians. It's, it's, you want the proof? The proof is here. I mean, I can sit with you for, I would sit with you for hours. You want to be convinced? But is your heart ready? Do you want to receive it? Do you want the truth? Sometimes we don't like the truth because we know that the truth will make changes in our lives, and we're not ready for that yet. I'm having too much fun in this world. I'm making too much money. I'm doing too many things. It's your choice. Roman citizen couldn't crucify him, so they could, crucifixion took hours. So what they did was they cut his head off, which took seconds. If you had a merciful executioner, one chop, boom, it's all over. Mercy. What do all these people have in common? A resurrection experience, and based on that, they all changed. Peter, Thomas, and Paul experienced firsthand the risen Christ, and because of that, they gave their lives to serve him. The resurrection account is so powerful that it stands on its own. And I know it, and I see it. There's a lot of churches, they're doing gimmicks, and they're, they're throwing money at people on Easter Sunday, and it just, I don't know. To me, the resurrection is so powerful, it stands on its own. We help people. We pay their bills. We do nice things for people. We, we reach out to communities. But on Resurrection Sunday, no gimmicks. We don't tie anything to the resurrection. If you don't think that the resurrection is important, you don't think living forever is important, you don't think passing your, your sins to somebody else like Jesus who already paid for them and believing in that, you don't think that's important, you want to take your... To this time. I'm a pastor, and I still wouldn't take my chances going to, to be with God without Jesus. Oh, I'm a really nice guy. A lot of people like me in the church. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I do a lot of good works. I'm a kind person. It's not going to cut it. Jesus said that the only way to pass from death unto life is to believe in him. I think sometimes the American dream has become a distraction from dedication. These people, they didn't make it to retirement. They didn't enjoy their 401Ks, bigger houses, cars, lavish vacations. And those things are not bad in and of themselves, but that's also not the goal as a believer. They didn't become famous preachers filling stadiums and making six and seven figure salaries. None of them. They believed. They were transformed. They were resurrected. And based on that, they gave their lives to serve the living God. And I don't get it. In the United States, we probably won't be called to be martyrs. So what's the issue if we're believers? Why are we not bearing fruit, some of us? The resurrection is all about change. Christ changed. A spiritual metamorphosis, if you will. From death unto life as he promised. Then his followers changed. From spiritual death unto spiritual life are we changed. They weren't content to stay the same people that they were. If we truly have a resurrection experience with the living God, we also must change. Our world is a pitiful mess in 2015. But you know what? In the first centuries, the Christians 
were in a world that was a pitiful mess too. It was harsh, it was brutal, there was no love, there was a caste system, slavery was perfectly acceptable, human rights were non-existent. But because they were salt and light, they helped to change things. It doesn't happen right away. The ship doesn't turn that easily. It takes time. But I will tell you on Resurrection Sunday morning or the day that we uh, celebrate it that we can change too. We can raise our hands and say, yes, I am willing, Lord. I don't know what you have in store for me, but I, I do. I want you to use me in some way. And you know what? You really say that to the Lord? Reveal yourself to me. This kooky preacher, is he telling the truth? You know, is he right? He will reveal things to you if it's something that you really want. But God gave us a free will. And we have to lay down our will. We have to crucify our flesh so that he can come into our life and make those changes that he desires. Happy Resurrection Morning. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.